Pick me up in Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. I'm thinking veggie tales right now for some reason. For their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence, underline that phrase, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Rise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. They said to one another, come, verse 7, let us cast lots. Uh, the idea of lots here is they were two stones uh, that were painted different colors on one side. So they cast lots. It is the 21st uh, century equivalent of dice. But Proverbs 16 tells us that God controls the lot. So I don't want you to see this as just happenstance. All of this is happening under the watchful eye of a sovereign God. So they cast lots, verse 7, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing, here's that phrase again, from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then, verse 11, they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. These men have more correct theology than Jonah does. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord, verse 17, appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Um, I, uh, I love the game of football. In fact, thank you for your constant updates. Uh, 49ers fans are definitely uh, edging out in front of the Oakland Raiders fans, thank goodness, um, because I've heard going to watch a Raiders game could be hazardous to my health. Um, in fact, we called the insurance company and they said, if you become a Raiders fan and go to Raiders games, we're going to actually up your premiums. Uh, but anyways, uh, no, no, they didn't say that. But I, I love the game of football. Uh, in fact, if you've ever um, watched the National Football League game, especially in the last couple of years, uh, what is becoming more and more common to the game are, um, are coaches, uh, the head coach of either team who will on occasion during the course of play pull out a red flag, throw it onto the field and disrupt and interrupt the continuity of the game. 
Now they call this act of the head coach taking out a red flag, throwing it out onto the field, interrupting the continuity of the game. They call that in NFL speak, a challenge. Here's all you need to know about challenges. Challenges are interruptions. It is the coach's way of saying that, that ref, I think you missed the call. I think you didn't get it right. Uh, this head coach isn't throwing the challenge flag to be a nuisance. He's not doing that to annoy. Actually, he's doing that in the hopes of rerouting and redirecting the course of events on the field. It's the coach's way of saying that, ref, I think the call that you made that was a fumble, I think that if you will look at it more closely, it will actually be a touchdown. It's the coach's way of saying, I want to interrupt this play because what was initially called a setback, I think, will actually be a first down. Challenges, which are interruptions, are always given to redirect and reroute what happens on the field of play. If you study your scriptures and you know anything about God, you know that the God we serve is a God of interruptions. He is a God who actually, I think from time to time, laughs and chuckles when we write our plans. He is a God who, who seems to take delight in interrupting us. And yet, if you study the scriptures, one of the things that will become abundantly clear is every person in the scriptures that God has used mightily and magnificently, if you look closer at their story, you will discover that they were a person who had been interrupted by God. And yet when God interrupted them, he didn't do it just to annoy them or get on their nerves. But God always interrupted them in order to reroute and redirect their lives so that it was congruent with his call on their life. I could take you, for example, to Genesis chapter 11. There's a guy by the name of Abram. His name would later be changed to Abraham. God shows up in Genesis chapter 11 and, and he throws the red challenge flag. He interrupts Abram's life. He, he calls Abram and he says, Abram, I want you to pack your bags. I'm, I'm sending you away from here. Where are we going, God? Um, just pack your bags. I'll tell you along the way. Parenthetically, when God interrupts us and changes the itinerary, very rarely does he give us a pre-flight itinerary. He just simply says, trust me. I'll tell you along the way. I, I could take you, for example, to Exodus chapter 3. Uh, Moses is about 80 years of age, and for the previous 40 years, uh, he's been tending sheep in Midian. And here he is tending sheep in Midian, just minding his own business, going about the day's events. Uh, and then God shows up and interrupts his life through a bush that is burning but isn't being consumed. God interrupts Moses and he says, Moses, I've got a new assignment for you. I want to reroute and redirect you. I want you to go down, Moses, way down to Egypt land and tell, oh, Pharaoh, let my people go. I'm interrupting you in order to reroute you. Finally, among others, there's Saul. Acts chapter 9, Saul is walking down the dusty road of Damascus. He's got his own agenda. His agenda is he wants to persecute this new sect known as Christians. 
And here he is filling, fulfilling his own uh, kind of mission and agenda in life until God shows up and interrupts him. And God interrupts him to reroute him. It is as if God says to, to Saul, later to be named Paul, I know you've got your own agenda to persecute my people, but I am rerouting you from a persecutor into a preacher. I am interrupting you in order to redirect you. Anybody here ever been interrupted by God? Anybody know what it's like to be minding your own sanctified business? And all of a sudden, God shows up. Um, this is a fresh word for me, because I'm actually here today in Mountain View, California, because I was minding my own business. I wasn't messing with nobody. I didn't know nothing about this church. I had just moved to New York City on the Upper West Side, had just signed a two-year lease. Most people in New York sign a one-year lease. I signed me a two-year lease. Uh, I hadn't even unpacked all the boxes. Turned my computer on one day, and there is a notification from a social media platform, LinkedIn, that I never check, telling me that some guy, I can't even pronounce his name, San, San J. Poonin, is telling me about some church and asking me to come preach one Sunday here in the Bay. And the next thing I know, God is interrupting me, telling me, I know you had a two-year lease in mind in New York City, but you should have prayed a little bit more before you signed that lease. God interrupted me. But by the way, whenever God interrupts people, it's always a sign that greater is on the way. God doesn't interrupt you to get on your nerves. He interrupts you to reroute you. And when he reroutes you, he realigns you with his will. And when you're realigned with his will, yeah, that means greater is on the way. And the very fact that God rerouted me to, for me to come here, I'm not the savior of abundant life. There's one savior alive and doing well. But the very fact that he sent me here abundant life, it is God's way of saying, I haven't given up on you. Greater is on the way ever been interrupted by God? If there's one word that sums up the book of Jonah, man, it's a word that's going to dominate our time together over the month of April as we just roll up our sleeves and make our way through the book of Jonah. If there's one word that sums up the book, it is the word interruption. You can't understand the book of Jonah without understanding this theological concept of interruption. In fact, the story of Jonah actually begins with an interruption. Uh, look at Jonah chapter 1 verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Jonah is a prophet. Everything in the text would lend us to believe that this word that Jonah gets, this text message that Jonah gets from God, was out of the blue. It was sudden. That this word that comes to him wasn't pre-scheduled on his iCal app. Uh, let me try it another way for those of us more seasoned saints. That, that this word that he gets wasn't written in his daytimer. That this word that Jonah gets is literally an interruption. I imagine Jonah is minding his own business. Maybe he's, he's out to eat at the counter. 
Maybe he's shopping, doing some grocery shopping at the local Whole Foods, or maybe he's trying on some sneakers at the local Foot Locker, just minding his own business, and up comes an interruption from God. And this interruption is God saying to Jonah, I've got a new assignment for you. I know you're here in Joppa, but I need you to head due east to Tarshish, excuse me, to Nineveh. I need you to go to Nineveh because there's a town there in which people need to get saved. I, I've got an assignment on your life. I've got a mission for your life. I've got a calling on your life. And I'm interrupting you, Jonah, not to get on your nerves, but I'm interrupting you, Jonah, to reroute you and to tell you what your next mission and assignment is. If you ever want to know God's assignment on your life, Ask God to give you the ability to discern his interruptions in your life. If you ever want to know, God, what do you want to do with my life? Learn to perceive and discern God's interruptions, not as annoyances, not as nuisances, but as indicator lights for God's calling on your life. When God interrupts us, it is always an indication of his next mission and his next assignment over us. Some of us can remember Mary. Luke chapter 1, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Scholars tell us she's between the ages of 12 to 14 years of age when the angel Gabriel shows up. By the way, you'll never hear me say in this church of young people, they're the church of tomorrow. You ain't the church of tomorrow. You're the church of today. God can use you right now today. There are all kinds of youth that God uses in the Bible. Here's Mary, 12 to 14 years of age. The angel Gabriel shows up. God interrupts her life. But is God just interrupting her just for the sake of interrupting her? No. The angel Gabriel, representing God, interrupts Mary's life, and he does so to give her her new assignment. You will be the one to birth the Messiah. God's interruptions are never coincidences. When he interrupts, it is his way of assigning you into something. This week, I'll hop on an airplane, and, um, and we'll go to Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I'm going to hang out. I can't wait to hang out with my sister um, and her husband and uh, my niece, and I'm going to meet my new nephew for the first time, and uh, my sister just sent me a text message uh, telling me that they just got some snow. We praying in Jesus' name that that snow is gone by the time I get there, and, uh, uh, but, but my, uh, my brother-in-law, my sister's husband, he's a general surgeon, and, uh, and my sister is an OBGYN, and they met in undergrad, they went to medical school together. Uh, they did residency together, cranked out two kids during residency. I don't know how they did it, man. It's, um, it's, it's something else. But, but, but my sister was telling me, you know, she says, our schedule's pretty interesting because you understand this, Brian, uh, to be a doctor fundamentally means to embrace a life in which you're on call. And when you're on call, she says, at any given moment, I can get a phone call telling me that one of my patients has gone into labor. She says to be a doctor, in so many words, is to embrace a life of interruptions. And I'm here to tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, to follow God means to embrace a life in which you are constantly on call. God deliver us from any notion that thinks, I know better what to do with my life than you. That God 
God at any moment can step in and can, and can disrupt us in order to reroute us. If you're familiar with the story of Jonah, you understand what happens next. God interrupts Jonah, says, Jonah, here's your new assignment. Jonah says, thanks, but no thanks. And he decides to do things his own way. Verse 3, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah hears God's assignment. He says, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to do my own thing. By the way, that's the definition of sin. Sin says, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to choose me over God. There's three things about Jonah's sin I want us to understand until we get back to this theme of interruptions. We can't understand God's sovereign grace in interrupting us until we understand the nature of sin. The first thing I want you to understand is that sin is always intentional. Sin is intentional. God says, Jonah, I've got an assignment for you. Go to Nineveh, which is due east. The Bible says that Jonah decides to hop on a ship headed for Tarshish, which is due west. Tarshish is about as far west as you can get. It is in Spain, thousands of miles away from where he was called to go. Nothing in the text hints that Jonah just happened to get on this ship, just happened to go in the opposite direction. It wasn't as if he says, Tarshish, I didn't know that. I thought I was going to Nineveh. No, everything in the text hints that Jonah intentionally commandeered this ship, boarded this ship, headed in the opposite direction of God. Now, can I send you a quick text message? There's a phrase I think most Christians, all of us need to strike from our vocabulary. It is the phrase that so-and-so fell into sin. Don't say that. Don't say that. We, we need to erase that phrase. It's as if we walking down the street and sit in some pothole we just slipped off into. Oh my God. Like gossip is some pothole. Didn't see that one coming. More times than not, we don't just fall into sin, but we're really going to tell the truth. We walk into sin with our eyes wide open. Jonah just didn't fall into that ship. He got on it intentionally with his eyes wide open. Second thing I want you to see about sin, sin is not just intentional, but sin is crazy. Verse 3, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, underline this phrase, (laughs) from the presence of the Lord. Jonah wants to play hide and go seek with an omnipresent God. The, the, The word omnipresent is a big theological term that simply means everywhere present. God is the all-seeing, all-present God. Psalm 139, uh, the writer of the psalm says this. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. He says, there's nowhere I can go where you aren't. Trying to hide from God is like my kids trying to hide from me in our 900 square foot apartment on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Sin is crazy. 
write this down. One pastor says, all sin is temporary insanity. All sin is temporary insanity. I'll never forget uh, my, my baby brother, Brendan. He's about six or seven years old at the time. And uh, um, they were, uh, he, he, was, he was in the dining room and my mama was in the next room. My brother, Brendan, six or seven years old at the time, he was supposed to be doing his, his homework, but he's goofing off. And my mama in the next room hears him goofing off and she yells out, Brendan, do your homework. To which he replies, I ain't got to do what you say. Now, I, I, I didn't grow up in one of those homes where we had the timeout ministry. I, I know some of y'all sophisticated 21st century parents, but it was timeout to get my belt. Um, there wasn't any abuse, none of that, but my mama got up off that sofa. When, when, when my brother said, I ain't got to do what you say, six, seven years old, my mama flew up off that sofa and was in that next room inside of a second. True story. When she gets in the room, it dawns on my brother what he just said. He takes his hands and puts them over his face and said, oh, Jesus, help me. All sin is temporary insanity. This brother thought he could get on a ship and play hide-and-go-seek with God. Three times in our text says that Jonah sought to flee from the presence of God. Third and final thing we learned about Jonah's sin, not only is it intentional, not only is it crazy, but thirdly and finally we learn from Jonah's sin that it's costly. It's costly. Verse 3, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Underline this phrase, so he paid the fare. He didn't get on that boat for free. He didn't sin for free. In fact, what Eugene Peterson says, another Hebrew scholar says, if you study that, that phrase, so he paid the fare, in its original Hebrew, it could actually be translated, he commandeered the ship, meaning he paid a hefty sum to rent the whole ship and all of the sailors. He, he, he very well could have sold his house. It cost him dearly. I know we've only been together for five weeks, and, and I've, been, I've been trying just to exhort. I don't want to say nothing hard to us at all. If you're a first-time guest, uh, please forgive me, uh, but, but I wouldn't be faithful to the text if I didn't tell you that there's no way you can make up in your mind to sin and you not pay some kind of a price. I, I wouldn't love you. I wouldn't love you as pastor if I can just tell you that. There is a price tag to sin. Hear me, God's grace is sufficient. Hear me, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just not to remind us, but to forgive us of our sins. But nonetheless, you can't do dirt and not get dirty. There is, there is a cost to sin. For some of us, that, 
That cost is a cost to our character and our reputation. For some of us, that cost is wasted time. Every day we spend out in the far country doing our own thing, rebelling against God, is a day wasted. There's a cost to others. What this text teaches us is we don't sin in a vacuum. Here is Jonah in sin against God. God sends a storm, which means the other people on the boat are paying for another person's mess. I mean, they wake the brother up. Man, we out here calling on God. Why aren't you calling with us? See, it is a completely false American notion to think that my sin is just about me. Your sin and my sin affects others. How many homes have been split up because of daddy's sin or mama's sin? How many, let's go the other way, how many godly parents are crying their eyes out night in and night out over the child's sin? There's a cost to sin. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm God and I call somebody and say, look, I'm calling you to go over there. If they run away from me, I ain't chasing them. I'm going to go to the next one. If, if I'm God and I call you and I invite you to do something, I'm not running after you. I, I remember one of my sisters, she used to, she was a type, she would just run from mama. And mama would, mama would sit on her sofa and say, I ain't running after you. If I'm God, I'm not running after Jonah. But praise God, I'm not God. What now follows is God puts on his running shoes, laces them up, and chases Jonah in a series of interruptions. What we now see is a God who sends a storm, who, who allots the lots, who, who sends a fish, who throws everything at Jonah, including the kitchen sink, to get Jonah where he needs to be. What this text te teaches us is a fundamental lesson, and it is this. God is not just concerned about the mission He's also concerned about the messenger. God is not just concerned about the outcome. He's also concerned about the person and the process. Colin Smith says it this way. Will you look at it with me? If you work long and hard in the cause of Christ, there may be times when you feel that God cares about what you are doing more than he cares about you. It isn't so. If God cared only about getting his work done, he would have ditched Jonah and sent someone else to Nineveh. If the work was all that mattered, God could have abandoned Jonah in the self-indulgent resentment that gripped him after the people of Nineveh had repented. But God cared about Jonah 
And God cares about you more than you can imagine. Hear me, the God we serve is not some utilitarian God who is just interested in using you to pull off the task. What Jonah teaches us, hear it now, if you get nothing else I say, get this. What Jonah teaches us is, God does not just use people to accomplish tasks, but he also uses tasks to accomplish people. I'm going too fast. God does not just use people to accomplish tasks, but God also uses tasks to accomplish people. God is not just concerned about the mission. He is also concerned about the missionary. So God says, Jonah, I have a call on your life. Jonah, I have an assignment on your life. Jonah, you want to run from me? I'm coming after you. The same God who said that of Jonah is the same God who says that of everybody in here. You are not here by accident. God has a call on your life. God has an assignment on your life. I saw just this week a picture of a mama and her 22-year-old daughter standing out in front of an abortion clinic. And the mama held a sign up that says, 22 years ago, I was going into this abortion clinic to abort this baby. And I decided not to. And that's the baby now 22 years of age. There's an assignment on her and there's an assignment on you. But you're not here by accident. You are not here by coincidence that God did not ordain for you to wake up today just for you to do you. He's assigned you. And what this text tells us is the truth of Romans eleven twenty nine that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That God loves you so much and I'm speaking to someone right now living in rebellion. God loves you so much that he would have been justified in snatching you up out of here months ago. But he still allowed you to breathe. Because the same God that's come after Jonah is the same God that's come after you. Now watch this. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to get a little choppy. He comes after Jonah. And when he comes after Jonah, we see interruption after interruption after interruption. We understand that God's interruptions are a sign of his sovereign grace. God, watch it now, sends a storm. God oversees the lot so that the lot falls on Jonah, not happenstance. God sends the storm, oversees the lot... But not only that, he appoints the fish. What this text points to is the sovereignty of God. When we talk about the sovereignty of God, hear it now, we are talking about a God who is in control. Let me bathe you in scripture. Psalm 135 verse 6 says this, look at it with me. Whatever the Lord 
does, or whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth. In the seas and all deeps. Isaiah 46, 9 to 10 says, God says, For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient time things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. God says, If I said it's going to get done, ain't nothing you can do to change it. It's going to get done. Take it to the bank. God is sovereign and he's in control. Now, what does that mean? Nothing that happens in your life surprises him. In fact, everything that happens in your life, in my life, he either allowed or decreed. Now here's the quiet part of the sermon. You ready for this? This is as rough as it gets. Let's read verse four together. Read, read it with me. But the Lord, no, 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 out loud. But the Lord hurled a great wind. One more time. But the Lord hurled a great wind. Hear, hear me. Does your version say the Lord allowed the great wind? He did it. I'm going to mess y'all up. I'm going to mess you up. God sent the storm. Yep, that's a good time for a phone call. Someone's cell phone going off right now. I'll let you answer it. Tell them what time you'll meet them at Piccadilly. I got to read that again. But the Lord hurled a great wind. Go to verse 17. Read it with me. Verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. One more time. Am, Am I reading this right? And the Lord, not allowed... And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Here's what this text teaches. Fasten your seatbelts. Not everything bad in your life got allowed. I I know y'all ain't shouting. There are some storms... God sent. Is, is, is this mic working? Hear me. We need to stop looking at bad things in my life and blaming Satan. Sometimes Satan gets way too much credit for stuff he didn't do that God did. I know we don't like this. 
says it. God sent the storm. God sent the fish. He didn't do it to harm jo Jonah. There's the grace. So that the bad stuff that happens in my life, it is not an angry God. It is a gracious God. Sometimes, some of us are saying, we just want God to leave us alone. But there's sometimes the worst thing God can do to you is to leave you alone. My two-year-old son, Jaden, he hated holding my hand, walking down a busy street. If I let that boy do what he wanted to do all the time, that boy would have been run over by a car. There's sometimes I needed to jerk him. My mama sent some storms into my life. 43 years of age, I'm thankful she did. I went to a church where the mamas had these purses with little, little twigs protruding out of them. Y'all gonna swear I was abused. I promise you I wasn't. They had what they called switches. Sometimes mama would get so mad, she'd tell me to pick my own switch. And I'd bring her back something like that and she'd say, bring me the whole tree. Sometimes mama sent the storm. Hebrews 12 says, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. It ain't God's grace for you to do what you want to do and nothing happened to you. In fact, that's scary. Hebrews 12 tells me, if I can live in rebellion against God and nothing happens, I may not be God's child. Our text tells us there are times when God sends the storm. There's a guy in the Bible, his name is Joseph. Joseph experienced storms, sold into slavery by his brothers, lied on, betrayed by Potiphar's wife, thrown into jail, forgotten about in jail, all this stuff. Finally, at the end of his story, he... He unveils himself to his brothers. And I, I want you to look at this. I want you to look at this. Genesis 45, verses 5 through 8. This, this gets at it. And I pray this kind of maturity over my life. And I pray this kind of maturity over your life. This is a guy at the end of all these storms. Listen to what he says. Genesis 45, right on the screen. And now, this is Joseph talking to his brothers. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Watch it. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the, ham for the famine has been in, these, in, in the land these two years. And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. Hear me. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here. God. Joseph said, all the hell in my life was under a sovereign God. 
Joseph says, I'm not mad at you. God did this. Here is Joseph looking through the rear view mirror at all the storms. And he says, God did that. There are times when God and his sovereignty, if that's the case, then when I get the pink slip or when I go through the breakup or when I get the cancer scare or the health scare, a mature believer asks the question, God, what are you up to? Yes, we pray for healing. Yes, we pray for a new job. But God wants to grow us out of this woe is me, my life, and this and that. God, what are you doing through the crisis? Where are you redirecting me? Because the quality of our lives is in direct proportion to our willingness to obey and submit to his sovereignty. I'll go home with these two thoughts. When my, when my two oldest were, were um, they're about 19 months apart, and when they were just starting to get their haircuts, I took them to the finest barber in Memphis. A guy named Sean Woodfork, finest barber I've ever had. And I take them there, but if you were to see them after they sat down with the finest barber in Memphis, you would declare they got cut by two different barbers. One, the finest barber in Memphis, and the other, you would think Stevie Wonder did his hair. <laughs> Line all zigzagging. You'd be shocked to know that the same barber did both of their haircuts. What's the difference? There's a difference. One obeyed and one didn't. One, when the barber said sit still, he was still. When the barber said turn left, he turned left. When the barber said turn right, he turned right. One stayed still and obeyed, and the other was jerking and back and forth and crying and screaming and giving all these fits. Their haircuts was not a commentary of this, on the skill of the barber, but their haircuts was a commentary on their own obedience or lack thereof. The quality of your life has nothing to do with the skill of God. It is a commentary on whether or not you will be obedient to the sovereign God. God says, I'm doing something in your life. Will you be still and know that I am God? So God sends the storm not to be mean to Jonah. Actually, the storm is a sign of God's grace. And I love what Tim Keller says about grace. Look at it with me. Grace is pursuing and intercepting self-destructive behavior. Grace is fierce love, dogged love, determined love. And it won't stop until it hurts you just enough to wake you up. God says, Jonah, I am so committed to you, I am not going to leave you alone. 
I'm coming after you, and I'm coming after you, and I'm coming after you, and I'm coming after you. Okay, I'm sending a storm. That doesn't work. Cast the lots. That doesn't work. Throw you in. That doesn't work. Now I'm sending a fish. That's grace, friends. Grace is not letting go of a two-year-old child's hand and say, go ahead. But grace is holding on, even if in the process of holding on, that kid cries. As the praise team comes, you know why we're still talking about Jonah today? If Jonah doesn't say yes to God's interruptions, we don't get the story of Jonah. And if we don't get the story of Jonah, Jesus doesn't talk about Jonah in the Gospels. And if Jesus doesn't talk about Jonah in the Gospels, we, we only have one verse that talks about Jonah outside of Jonah in the Gospels, and it's in 2 Kings. The reason why we're talking about Jonah thousands of years later is because of the grace of God and Jonah finally repenting and responding to God's grace. Hear me. The reason why Jonah has a transgenerational impact that reverberates beyond his life is that when God finally interrupted Jonah for the umpteenth time, Jonah finally threw up his hands and said, I give. If you want a transgenerational legacy, a legacy that reverberates beyond your life, stop fighting God. I believe God's brought someone here today to interrupt you. I believe there's someone in this house today God has appointed that you would be here just as he appointed the storm and just as he appointed the fish and just as he appointed Jonah to go to Nineveh. God has appointed you to be here. There is no one here today by accident. You are here by divine decree and sovereignty. The ultimate interruption is salvation. When God pulls you out of the world and adopts you into his family. How does that happen? In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus actually equates himself to Jonah. In our text, Jonah jumps into the sea, throws himself into harm's way because of his sin. And Jesus, who is the true and better Jonah, he threw himself into harm's way, not because of his sin, but because of ours. Just as Jonah was buried in the belly of that fish for three days, Jesus was buried in the belly of the ground for our sin for three days. And just as Jonah came up out of that fish after the third day, Jesus came up out the grave after the third day so that we would have life. And so I want to make a couple of calls today. If you're here today and you're going, I think God is interrupting me and I want to say yes to God for the first time. I want to give my heart and life to Jesus Christ. I, he's interrupting me. He's disturbing me. And pastor, as you were preaching, I didn't understand everything, but there's something going on in my heart and I want to give my heart and life to Jesus Christ. I want that same God who interrupted Jonah. I want that God in my life.
In just a few moments, I'm going to make a call and you're going to come. Someone else is here today, though, and you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, just like Jonah would call himself a follower of God. And yet you're headed to Tarshish. You're kind of doing life on your own terms, on your own agenda. And you fill in the blanks. It could be sexual immorality. It could be, you know, the way you spend money. It could be whatever. But let's just face it, you're doing you. And you want to say yes to God today. And you want to come back home and you want to rededicate your heart and life to Jesus Christ. We want to pray with you and for you that the same grace that rerouted Jonah, that grace will reroute and redirect you. So we make a call for those who want to come to Christ for the first time. And we also want to make a call for those who would call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, who are saying, I'm headed in the wrong direction. I want to do a 180, not a 360. I want to do a 180 and go back to where God would have me. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. We bless you for your word in this house today. We thank you that you love us so much you don't let go of us. That you will even at times throw storms into our lives, not to be mean, but to reroute us. What grace. Now, Father, save someone's soul today, we pray in the name of Jesus. Bring someone who would call themselves a follower of you who's headed to Tarshish. Bring them back into the center of your will today. Interrupt lives. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.